Yo, yo, Ridge Runner Nation, welcome back to the 46th episode of Ridge Runners Live with Michael Gamp. In this episode, we dive into the forgotten Florida 45 miler down in, well, you guessed it, Florida. Although he currently lives in Columbus, Ohio, he is no stranger to the toughest ultras on the East Coast. This past summer, he even ran 150 miles with 30,000 feet of elevation gain in 60 hours at the Shawnee State Forest. Sit back, relax, this is an awesome episode, and uh, let's dive right into it. Yo, what is crack and Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another Ridge Runners live show. On tonight's guest, we are talking to a man who ran 150 miles in 60 hours at the Shawnee State Forest this past summer. He also ran the Forgotten Florida 45 miler this past weekend, and we're super excited to talk to him all things ultra running. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Michael Gamp, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you, Wesley. Cam, I'm, we're joined by you tonight. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Uh, Ridge Runner Nation knows you by now. Sixth man of the nation. How's it going? Um, I'm doing great, Wesley. I'm super stoked to be here. Um, as usual, we're going to start tonight off with our famous first question. Michael, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a nice IPA from Zaptic Brewing, uh, just down the road from the house here, a Juicy Lucy. All right. That sounds exciting. Um, I have a much less exciting thing on the table for myself tonight. Um, if you can't tell in here, I am feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, and I got some big things planned this weekend. So tonight I'm having some sleepy time tea. <laughs> and this will be a very exciting live show. I hope you don't fall asleep on us, Cam. I mean, that's that's really disappointing from you. Uh, myself, I've actually got a, uh, a white claw in the canister, but I also got some water here. Um, you know, I, I do have a run tonight, so it's only 630 here in Utah. I'm still adjusting to the, the work run live show lifestyle. So I got to still get a little run in uh, tonight, but uh, super excited to kind of dive into things. Uh, before we do that, as always, you can find the show on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you're on Strava, join our Strava club as well. Our handle is Ridge Runners on all platforms. Michael, I want to start off by getting to know a little bit about you, a little bit about your background and kind of how you found the sport of ultra running. Because I think that's kind of super important to kind of just hear people's stories about how they actually kind of came into the sport. So if you want to start off by kind of taking us through uh, how you found ultra running. Um, I found it much later than I wish I would have. And I don't know if I found it or if it found me. Um, I got into running on roads about 20 years ago and really um, dove into the road marathon circuit and had a lot of fun with that ran New York marathon twice, ran the Boston marathon, um, had a lot of fun until one day I didn't have fun. Now, I know some of you have a you know, close connection to high university down there. And I gave up road marathons at the OU Athens marathon, uh, crossed the finish line, looked over at my wife who was standing there smiling, all happy to see me. And I, tossed a towel that she had, you know, given to me. I threw it back. I said, I'm done. I'm finished. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I'm done with this. And I stopped road marathon running and kept running recreationally for probably, I don't know, about 10 years. 
um, no more than six or eight miles. And then about four or five years ago, um, I just by chance found a trail run and it was a half marathon down at Bark Camp State Park. And I showed up and uh, a few miles into it, I noticed a few things. First of all, everyone was hiking up a hill and I wonder what that was all about. You know, you know, why are people hiking in a running event? And then at the back end of that, I figured out why they were hiking. They knew a lot more than I did. Uh, they all had hydration packs. And then I started looking for, like, where are all the mile markers? I was used to road marathons. Every mile, there's a mile marker. Um, and loved it so much. Then I started just, you know, signing up for more trail races. And it was the intersection of two things I love, which were running and being out in the woods. And um, really have just thoroughly enjoyed it ever since. So what was that process like? I mean, obviously, like you make the transitions from the trails to the road and you kind of like obviously experience like, oh, this is actually kind of awesome. Uh, what was it like those first couple of races for you? Like, did you like, were you just like totally captivated or were, you, were there any learning curves from going from the road to the trails for you? Oh, a huge learning curve. And I, I rediscovered that running could be fun and in the road running, it was so much about milestones and setting, you know, PRs. I think at the marathon that I decided I was done road running, I think it was actually my marathon PR. So it wasn't that things were going bad. I just got tired of the grind of it. And I just was so overwhelmed with the trail running and the ultra scene that I came into an aid station and there were some people there I just met and started talking to. And they looked at their watch and they said, well, we've got like four hours to cut off and they're making quesadillas. And so do you want a quesadillas? Well, absolutely. I have a quesadilla. It's like, this doesn't happen in a road run. So it's more like, like this running, like social party out in the woods. Um, and I just, you know, again, it was like, it's all this aspect of, you know, this close community, physical activity, and just being out in like beautiful, beautiful places. Totally. Uh, we definitely echo those kinds of comments, Michael. And <clears throat> excuse me. One thing that a lot of people always say, very similar stories to you, you know, that the grind of road running and road marathoning especially really wears on them. For you, was that more of a mental or a physical grind with chasing those mile splits? Um, or was it kind of a combination of both? I think for me, it was, um, it just got to be a mental um thing and it just all of a sudden i mean it was that one day down in athens and it was a beautiful day it just wasn't fun anymore um you know it's it's chasing goals and achieving goals you know is satisfying but after a while it's chasing like kind of that like that need for achievement and it's no longer there anymore um all it really is with the road running and i mean i I can't fault road running because it got me to where I am now, but it's, it's a diminishing return. And what is missing is like all of that community, all of like the support, all of the wonderful places to be enjoying a quesadilla because you have four miles or four hours left to cut off. And it's like, you know, it's not about like necessarily getting to the finish line first. It's there's more to it than that. 
That's kind of mm-hmm. the one thing that I think like, I mean, this when people make the transition to ultra running, it's just like, it's just awesome to see. And, you know, Matthew Hammersmith on last time's Fridge Runners Live show, he was talking, talking about how, you know, he, he loves seeing those road runners make those transition to the trails and uh, how it's, it's great for our sport. So uh, we can, we just hope it continues to happen. Uh, one thing I'm interested in, I kind of want to dive into a lot of different things. But first off, let's start off just with the forgotten Florida 45 miler. Uh, why'd you pick? a February race, obviously um, starting the year off with a pretty big effort. And then also like, what was it like kind of going down there and uh, just running an ultra? Um, a few reasons why I picked that race. Um, I'm going to do a couple more run bums races later in the year. I've run quest for the crest. So I'm you know, familiar with the events. They do a great job with them and it's february and i'm here in westerville ohio and i think it's been snowing for it seems like two weeks straight it's like 12 degrees and i didn't know that when i entered but i thought well florida would be a nice place to be in february for a few days just to get you know a little bit of a break from the winter you know and you know to hold over to like the warmer spring time temperatures and it was something so different than what i usually do i you know, as you know, you put in my bio and you guys know from like my history, I love vertical. Like I will run up mountains and hills. That's my favorite thing to do. Would rather go up than go flat or anything else. I would just do a nonstop climbing race. But that race down there is 45 miles. It's flat, um, palm forest, swamps, wide open ranch land. Um, and I think there was less than 150 feet of vertical in 45 miles. So this is not my cup of tea. But I do like to go out and do things that are different just to experience something that's not always the same thing. So I went down there, absolutely was not disappointed. Um, but I have to admit, it was really hard because having 45 miles with no natural break to hike, climb, or do anything else, I had no idea how to pace. Um 78 degrees um, on that Saturday compared to 15 degrees the previous Saturday up here running was an interesting thing to get used to. So it was just another opportunity just to kind of put myself into a position where I wasn't exactly comfortable and just figuring out how to make it work and have a good time with it. Cam, you were down in Florida. Uh, kind of what was like those vibes like, obviously, being down in a Florida race. I'm the only one who hasn't been in a Florida race this year. Uh, kind of what did you see as a spectator that, you know, Michael experienced maybe out on the race course? Yeah, <clears throat> I would definitely say pacing and crewing at long haul, the Florida vibe is is very different because the, the challenge itself isn't the terrain. You've got nobody talking about what hill's coming up next. Mm-hmm. You know, like there often are at um, aid stations, especially on um, race courses that we have here. And I think the biggest thing for me that really stood out was that it was just not truly as warm as I thought it was going to be. I think maybe I imagined I was headed down to a tropical paradise. And the only reason I brought like a puffy coat is because we we drove there. We left like right after we all got off work one day and um, I needed it. And I'm like running in a jacket at night. And I'm like, this feels cold. Like I have goosebumps right now. So I don't know if Michael experienced any of that at all, but just like the, the fact that it's kind of like on you to like totally measure out your pace, the course doesn't affect you at all. I know Katie Rosar talked a little bit about this as well. Um, It's a different challenge, especially mentally when you don't have those like built in, not necessarily breaks, but moments where you're like, 
I'm hiking this and I'm walking because it's the best thing to do right now. There's no point in like a Florida race course where it seems like you're going to be forced to walk because that's the most efficient thing. You have to decide that for yourself. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Cam. It's, um, you know, I felt like a fish out of water because I'm used to Appalachian foothills and, you know, mountains kind of down in the Carolinas, down to Kentucky and Tennessee. And going down there, any strategy that I knew that I'm comfortable with just didn't exist anymore. It doesn't work there. And I've learned that from going across the country and running in different places. It's that, you know, some times I think, you know, there's a view that one place is easier to run than the other. And that's absolutely not true. There's plenty of challenges and plenty of beauty in like all the variety across the country. It's kind of like, I want to, you know, just take the opportunity to kind of look around and experience those different things and not just look to keep doing more of the same. I think that's super unique. I mean, a lot of people like it, like to find their groove and you obviously have found your groove with the harder ultras, the more challenging races, ton of vert, but you, I mean, you seems like you're open to possibly doing a uh, Florida hundred one day. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I could do that. Yes. Um, I would really, you know, to get from what I did last Saturday to the hundred, I would have to really think about that strategy. And I knew with 45 miles that I couldn't mess it up that bad. So I knew I could pull it off. So I crossed the finish line, still felt pretty darn good, got my car and everything was good to go. But adding on another 65 miles to that, you know, the, the, exponential like you know of things going wrong from 45 to 100 is just off the chart so i would really have to think about that and cam you know like you know like you were down there i know pacing it's like i would need a pacer and someone to kind of like keep me honest and figure out what kind of strategy we're going to do because you know my nature is i would get out with a kind of faster pack and i would go until i couldn't go yeah i mean that's go for it cam I was going to say there's definitely, there definitely seemed to be at long haul, this big impulse of like, well, it's early and I feel good. So I might as well run fast. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could just see um, that main central hub where all the camps were, you know, as you watch runners come in and out, you're like, who's cracking and like, who's starting to come undone, you know, and like, who's looking rougher because they ran a bunch of eight, nine minute miles when they definitely shouldn't have, you know, Mm -hmm. to start that race out. So I honestly think, having the pacer definitely helps towards the later half to kind of keep you honest, like you said, Michael, but it's having the patience in that first half to not be like, I feel good. Like the legs are strong. This is so flat, you know, like, let me just open it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I learned, you know, I did learn some really hard lessons in road running that I have never forgotten. Even whenever I, I switched over to trails, my absolute worst road marathon experience was in San Diego, California, whenever I ran the front half of that marathon in a little over an hour and a half, and the back half was two and a half hours, and it was not pleasant at all. So I kind of learned of like, you know, it's not like we always, you know, there's always this pushing and striving, but we don't go from like a four hour to a, you know, three hour marathon time and just pull that off, you know, on a whim. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Do you think there's some lessons that, you know, even though this was a flatter race and kind of kicking off the year for you, are there, are there some lessons that you think you could actually carry into, you know, your bigger for your bigger goals kind of later in the year? Um, as far as what I did at, um, down at Broughton, Florida. Yeah, correct. 
Not really. I just went down there to have fun. Um, I will say that some of the lessons I learned up here in Eastern Coast, uh, East Coast single track did work very well down there is the sections that were through the pine forests that had roots. Um, I noticed like some of the Florida runners who, I don't know if they were more road runners or, you know, or if they just weren't used to the rocks and roots that we are up here, um, slowed down. And in those sections, like I'm perfectly at home, all there are roots, there's no rocks and there's no birds coming down like a steep descent. Like this is pretty awesome. Uh, but I really just went down there just to have fun, get into some warm weather. Um, and it, you know, it, it checked all of those boxes. And that's one of the lessons that I've learned over the years. Um, I have any success I've ever achieved has been built on a whole lot of failures that I learned the hard way. And I've really learned a lesson to figure out what is that a race or goal of a particular time period and other things that are kind of training or fun just run them as their training or fun. Don't turn it into like, I'm going to do a PR. And so Forgotten Florida was not about how fast I can go. It was really just to enjoy being in Florida, run 45 miles, meet some new folks and, you know, come out of there without injuring anything. And so I checked all of those boxes. Yeah, definitely uh, some sound advice there, Michael. Um, kind of an unrelated question, although maybe not. Um, you say you were down there in Florida to have fun. Obviously, you had a good, you had a good race. It was a fun time in that respect. You do anything else that was fun uh, down there in Florida? You go to the beach and soak up some sun afterwards. See no, the gators. <laughs> no, um, and I always like I freely share. Like whenever I do something that's dumb, I will share it with the entire world so that you may and like learn from like things that I do that aren't always well thought out. I was in Florida for less than 72 hours. Um, I flew from Columbus to Orlando, got off a plane, went to a hotel literally almost next door to the airport, um, went to the race on Saturday morning, flew back home on Sunday morning. And as I was doing all that, I was thinking like, why did I do this? I already had the flight to Florida. I could have just stayed a week. And Cam, that would have been a better advice if I were wiser. So what I did learn from it, Wesley, is if I were going to do it again, I would think it out a little bit better and say, I don't need to get to Florida and back as fast as I can. Maybe I can spend three or four days and maybe head over to Cocoa Beach or something like that. Yeah, that definitely seems like the way that uh, I would do it. But even like when I went to Florida last year, you know, uh, I only did it for like a day or so. So, you know, I guess sometimes it just has to, the trip has to fall like that. Uh, did you see any uh, of those uh, armadillos? Another quick question I have to ask for all the uh, people out there. No armadillos. And I was really hoping to see like some kind of wildlife that might be able to like actually eat me, like in the terms of, like an alligator. And I didn't see any, and I'm sure that's not because they weren't there, because I could tell on the track on the road that I was running down, it was dry dirt, and you could see where they had been slithering from one side to the other. But I didn't actually see them. Well, you know, there another place where there is some wildlife that, you know, I do kind of really want to dive into, and I bet there's a lot of people who want to hear about this story in its entirety, is your Shawnee 150 last year and this is this story for people that don't know is probably one of the most underrated accomplishments in ultra running on the east coast last year um i mean just to go out there into the shawnee forest run 150 miles uh 
with 30,000 feet of elevation gain, it's just absolutely bonkers for anyone that's ever been out there. Anyone that's ever run the Shawnee 50, anyone that's ever gone out there and done a marathon there. You can, you can only imagine what uh, 150 would feel like. Um, kind of just walk us through, what was your inspiration for wanting to do 150? And then kind of like, yeah, how did that whole thing, how'd you decide to even start doing that? Um, great intro, Wesley. And the Shawnee 150 is really kind of a, it's a complete wrapped up, put a bow around it package of all this awesome about ultra running. And I see this community of somehow we always keep building these foundational blocks where, you know, even greater accomplishments are achieved. And I think we all kind of end up being a part of it. So the Shawnee 150 had a lot of things that went into that. Um, and really the least of it was me showing up and running the 150 because all the other things had to happen before that ever happened. So, you know, when we first started the show here, you asked, how did I end up in a trail? Well, I stumbled on a trail race. I ran a half marathon. I kind of figured that out. And then, um, I heard that Michael Owen was having a ultra marathon in Shawnee forest. Well, I'm from Soda County as a kid. I went and camped in Shawnee Forest, you know, went and, you know, spent a lot of time out there, but never actually ran there, did some hiking. And by this point, I have run, you know, ultra marathons. And so there's no way I'm not going to sign up for an ultra marathon that's not really back in my hometown. So I go back down there and, you know, by Michael putting that race on, you know, it actually brought me back to running in Shawnee, which is a place I had never run before, even though I grew up in Soda County. So came in there and it's like, I've been all of a sudden, like my eyes were open. It's like, oh my goodness. Like I lived in one of the most awesome places to run trails, like most of my life and never actually ran trails there until, you know, someone else, you know, had the vision or inspiration to put on an event, ran the Shawnee 50, brutal as can be, loved every second of it. That first year was cold and wesley did you run it the first year yep i've been there for both years so far yeah my, yes. my feet had never been so cold that first year like it was wet we were in and out of water um you know had a great time the last 15 miles i met a young man uh, who you know was i think he was 19 years old and he had done the mohican hundred you know that previous summer and i just enjoyed talking to him so much i literally like walked and power hiked out and trotted the last 15 miles for with him just because he was nice company so finished that up um and then i don't know i think someone mentions like well michael owen should do a hundred mile like shawnee version and so we just kind of started talking about it randomly with other runners and like everyone's like oh that's crazy and and, and then you know, I think it was just kind of one of those things that kind of comes up over a couple of beers in a pub or something somewhere. So, so, well, three loops, let's do three, like one, two loops, let's do three. And so it was just kind of like one of those audacious things that was just kind of out there. Um, and then I met, you know, through social media, you know, a young man named Ethan Gordon, and he had never run at Shawnee before and wanted to. And so back in the spring, uh, I think it was Memorial Day weekend, we went down there and he and I ran the entire backpack loop and talking to him, I said, you know, I think I might do three loops down here and just kind of saying that aloud to another human made it a real thing. And then all of a sudden it went from, you know, kind of this like just thing that's thrown out there is just the audacious like goal that, you know, who would do it to like, I'm going to do it. Um, so did all of that. Uh, Wesley, the, you did the 100 mile two weeks before I did the three loops. 
And I was down there with you, a good friend of mine, you know, Buck Michael, and we were scouting out the wilderness loop while you were down there. I said, look, there's someone else with like cans of Coke and there's oatmeal cream pies and I see your footprints. And so, you know, we were literally like following in your footprints. And so you doing the two loops was actually another foundational thing that was like me doing the three. And I set a very simple goal. Um, I was kind of ticked off and mad about 2020. I was you know, upset about the pandemic, which all of us were part of. And I just kind of like was fueling anger into something. And so it got fueled into that. I just channeled it all into that. And my only objective was I'm going to Shawnee. I'm putting my feet on the ground. And until I go 150 miles, I'm not coming out of that forest. Um, and so that was as simple as it was. So even more backstory kind of behind this story. So I kind of heard through the grapevine that Michael was going to go do 150. And, you know, I've been kind of floating the idea, like a lot of runners probably have, like, how cool would it be to go do 100 miles out there? And then I learned about Michael's about to go do 150. So I was like, okay, I got to at least go do 100 because I can't do 100 after he does 150. It'll just look like uh, like I'm not even trying or anything like that. So you put the pressure on me to do my adventure. And I uh, really appreciated that. But, you know, kind of knowing that you were going to be out there, uh, what was it like, you know, that first, say, day or so? I mean, obviously, such a big task is you have a lot of time to go. Uh, what was your kind of like first day like? I know you ran with, with some friends. What was it like out there? I, I, again, I took a lot of things I've learned over the years in running and ultra running and things I knew that went wrong. And I would, I was physically in shape, but what really you know, led me to be able to pull off what I did with the 150 was me getting my mind wrapped around what I needed to do, what was the strategy that it was going to take that I could carry my body for 150 miles. And kind of like we were talking about a moment ago about Florida, I could not run 150 miles the same way I could just go down and run 45 at Florida. And so I focused really on like, what do I need to do to be successful? Well, I need to be healthy. I need to take care of my feet because I'd you know, run the Mohican 100 back in 2018 and crossed the finish line. But the last 23 miles, I literally death marched because my feet were completely torn up. And I knew that I cannot like let that happen. So I learned some lessons that I then reapplied to that 150 and it ended up working. Um, and the lessons that I really started applying were what kind of pace can I run? I need to stay, you know, sub threshold. I can't go like, you know, anaerobic. I need to be able to have something I can sustain. I need to put enough like calories and energy and hydration in. It was hot as blazes. And so I just focused on pushing tons of fluid and I focused on every 13 to 15 miles. I would stop not very long, but I would eat like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I would like pull off my socks. I put on trail toes, took care of my feet and concentrated on just staying healthy. Um, and it all worked. Um, as far as like breaking it down, you know, there were, you know, it was basically three loops, but it was two of the Shawnee 50 course. And then one of them was basically just a loop of the backpack trail. And I broke it down into doing 100K um, do, and then doing 100K, 
47 miles and then 40-ish miles. And so I knew each chunk was smaller than the chunk that I just did before. And that was the mental game of knowing like each bite's a little bit smaller. So it was a combination of staying healthy, staying hydrated, and then like figuring out what kind of mental like game can I put into my head to make sure that like everything in front of me seems a little bit easier than what's behind me. Yeah, that's great. We've got um, our first question for you from the chat tonight, Michael, and it's Kirk Keener. You already answered this a little bit, but it's a two-parter. He wants to know, did anyone else run in the 150 with you and how did you handle your nutrition? Um, in the nutrition for the 150, uh, first of all, yes, I did have you know two really good friends who showed up. Ethan, who you know, I have to give credit for because whenever we say something audacious to another human, then all of a sudden it becomes real. So he was there whenever I made like this, I think I'll do this. And, and he said, well, if you do this, I'll show up. And so then I was like, well, okay, I got to do it. And so he and another friend of mine, Chris Campbell from down in Kentucky, they did show up and they joined me for the last 40 miles. So I ran the first 109 solo. Um, and then they joined me in for that last section of it. Um, as far as nutrition, Wesley, I actually, you know, tore one page out of your paybook and I threw one of my aid drops was there at the Mackle tree crossing. And so, you know, where you had your tote, I had one there as well. I had four random spots around that course where I threw out, you know, just a tote of like, you know, some trail toes, some oatmeal cream pies, some sandwiches, and just anything else I thought I might need. And I had those and then just whatever else I shoved in my pack that I took around the loop with me. Uh, Shawnee's a great place because they do have water at six places around that course. And I took a uh, Sawyer filter so I could filter at campsite six because there's a bit of a long, you know, section there where there is no water. And, you know, water is just, you know, as long as you have water and tailwind and there's plenty of that, um, I was able to keep up with nutrition and everything just seemed to work. Yeah, that's, um, that's really great. It's, um, super exciting to hear that you had folks who were willing to come out and run with you. But the very first thing that comes to mind for me is logistically, how long were they on call? So to speak, you know, like how much of your splits did you know ahead of time? Were you like, Oh, if you guys show up, you know, I'll be there between three and 4am or whatever. Or were you like, yeah, like, uh, I'll get there when I get there. I hope you're ready. Um, I, I, I sent out texts, but like anyone that's ever been down to Shawnee, you then gets an appreciation that cell phone service is spotty. Mm -hmm. Um, the two loops, there's the North backpack loop and the South loop. The North loop is up more close to Portsmouth. And so you can pull a signal on the ridge tops pretty consistently South loop, you know, that we do, you know, on that Shawnee 50, they do have the part they call the dark side, but from Celso signal, almost everything on South loop is dark side. So as we're going around that course, I, I had my phone with me. It was off most of the time, but I would fire it up at like fire tower. I would send out a group test to say, hey, I'm a fire tower. And then I did it at OEO and literally from OEO all the way to campsite seven, it's radio silence and it's a long way from OEO to campsite seven. So everyone's just kind of wondering, it's like, when are we going to hear from him? And I'd say it's going to be a while. Yeah. I know a hangover at the top at campsite. 
uh, five, I believe is where yep, that one is. Um, that has some cell service up there. Cause that's kind of where I took a power nap for an hour during my endeavor. It was just laying down there until cam saved my life out there with some motivational <laughs> words, but I kind of like, I, this is like just crazy kind of hearing this all happen. Like you just say like, Oh yeah, you know, it could be hours or, you know I mean? It's just like, <laughs> like, like it's almost like, I don't think people understand how like unfathomable this like actually was and how like incredible this feat actually uh, it's just crazy to kind of just hear you talk about it. What was your mental game? Like you did the first one Oh nine by yourself. So obviously, you know, you went in with the goal, Hey, I'm going to do this, but was there ever a point, you know, in the first, 109 miles and you're out there you're like wow okay this is actually really hard i don't know if i can get to the you know that next point i never ever had that feeling not one time um the first 109 miles i really it was nice knowing i was going to have company join me at a point and so that was always in my head so i knew okay this last 40 miles, I'm going to have some friends to run with. And so that's kind of a mile post, you know, even, you know, people who run, I think and pick up a pacer. I think just knowing a pacer is there gives you kind of like a shorter goal post to get to. And then you have a friend to chat with for a while. And then it kind of becomes a social thing, but that first 109 miles, um, it was the most surreal, serene, peaceful experience ever. Um, it was, unusually clear skies this was fourth of july weekend and i don't know why in ohio but it was night skies the moon the stars they were just popping up at fire tower the moon was bright enough it looked like daylight and being out there running across those ridge pops and you don't hear in shawnee cars trains airplanes you don't go by houses, people. You don't see anybody. It's as close to wilderness in Ohio that you will ever find. And being out there, you know, you know, it could lend you to kind of feel, you know, worried. But I didn't have that at all. It was just this like completely peaceful experience. Now I will share that you know, even though it was peaceful, um, in the afternoon I don't remember even what mile I was in. Um, but Wesley, I was over on the dark side between the, between the twin creeks and I was coming back down that valley, heading back down toward the road. And I looked up the trail and I saw a herd of cattle in a pasture eating grass. And I kept thinking like, well, I don't remember there being a cow pasture or a farm here. And so I kept trotting up and I was like, well, when am I going to get to these cows? And then it finally dawned on me, like there aren't any cows. I just, you know, hallucinated. I wasn't imagining it. Yeah, that's that's great to hear, Michael. Um, definitely agree with you about the feeling of sort of like solitude and like wilderness that you get being in the Shawnee forest. Um, I ran the backpack trail there alone on my birthday going on two years ago now. And I definitely got that feeling from being out there all alone like that. But my question for you is, you ran this 4th of July weekend, middle of the summer, and you're saying it was serene <laughs> and peaceful. You had no experiences with the bugs in the Shawnee forest, no ticks, no flies, nothing. It was, I've been down there before where I've ran through spider <clears throat> webs to where I feel like I was encased in a cocoon and I have been completely eaten alive by horse flies. Um, and I don't really 
there wasn't anything that bad. Like, I don't know if it was too early for the horsefly infestation. And because of the pandemic, there are a few more people that are out hiking. And so they kind of cleared out the cobwebs. And so it wasn't that bad. Um, you know, I mean, there was like what you would expect in Ohio in you know July as far as minor stuff, but nothing was too overwhelmingly bad. Did jump over one copperhead on the trail, like you know, it was in the nighttime and he was lying there asleep and just kind of hopped over him and kept going. And the other interesting thing was, it's like as I was finishing the first section of the hundred k. Um, I was coming out of campsite seven and going across Lant Black Road, and there were a couple guys there in a pickup truck, and I don't know what they were drinking or smoking, but like they really wanted to talk to me a lot about copperheads, a whole lot about copperheads. I was like, yeah, I got it. I just kept going. Yeah. Oh, man. And you mentioned the horse flies. And the reason I asked that is because uh, a different run in the Shawnee Forest, I remember coming down a, a dirt forest service road to go back to the parking lot and looking behind me and seeing like a group of horse flies, like kind of trailing me almost. Mm -hmm. And it was like a definitely a surreal experience to be like, oh, like I'm being chased by flies. My, uh, my first run down there was a good friend of mine, Kathy Noe, and she and I went out there and no one had been on that trail and I don't know how long we ate so many spiders and spider webs and the horse flies were relentless. And at one point I slapped my head because there was one of them chewing on the top of my head and then my hand came down. There's three dead horse flies in my hand. I mean, it was just unreal. Yeah. Definitely uh, would recommend some kind of bug spray and a nuclear option that the all natural stuff will not work in the Shawnee forest. Not at all. You need the maximum strength deep. Um, and so we got a question in the chat here, actually to follow up on this, not bug related or copperhead related, sadly, but uh, Michael, Eric Anderson wants to know, do you have a significant other? And if so, what were their thoughts on you being out there uh, in the forest for that long? Um, I do have a significant other, my wife, Laura, and she is very supportive and has learned to, I think, cheerfully tolerate my obsession for going out in the woods and sometimes coming back at questionable times. Um, the first run that I did at Shawnee uh, with my friend Kathy, unfortunately, we asked my wife to come down and to crew in her car for us. And we were supposed to meet her, Wesley, over on the dark side at a crossing there, you know, where you cross the first crossing at Palm Creek. And yes. I, Kathy and I had never run there before, ever, at Shawnee. And we were going around the backpack loop, and we missed the turn to go over to the dark side. So my wife was stuck over there by the creek for a very long time. We can't text her, she can't text us, and she was not real happy about that. <laughs> um, and Kathy was, you know, she was trying to text you, Lord, like, what do we do? I said, I don't know what we can do at this point, but we got to follow these orange blazes to get back to the vehicle. And we did, and everything worked out okay, and, and we made her out. But anyone who, you know, is in a relationship with a trail runner, you know, at some point it's going to appreciate that like when you give an estimate of when you're going to show up somewhere, 
it can widely vary. That can be three hours early, it can be three hours late. And all of us that do this just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, eh, what's the big deal? But like, you know, people who don't do it, it can be a little, you know, it can cause them to be a, a bit nervous and for good reasons. Like, but, you know, there's just not an option. And some of these places, there's no cell phone signal. You just can't communicate. I don't know about you, but personally speaking, like I'd much prefer to be on the runner side of the equation than like the person like waiting and waiting, you know, trying to wait for that update, you know, at least you kind of know what's going on, but you know, the suspense and the uh, unknowing is just can be nervy at times. Oh um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree, Wesley. It's like, you know, it's like being the runner, you always know what your status and situation is and you feel like you're okay. I can got control over it. But anyone who doesn't know that, you know, they have a lack of information. So people that care about us, you know, you know, they really do. And so whenever I did the Shawnee 150, I gave everyone a lot of heads up. It's like, you're not going to hear from me very often. I am going to give you at, at these times and it's going to be you know, quite a bit of time between them. And so I think I kind of prepped them for, you know, what to expect when you're going to hear from me and, you know, um, and everyone, you know, knew I was out there. So if there something did go wrong, um, you would have an idea of like where I was the last time. Um, something else I've also kind of, you know, tried to get, a, you know, a bit more careful about being, um, being adventurous in the woods and warm weather is a lot different than in the winter time. Um, July, a broken ankle or something like that is not fatal. You can stay in the woods for a very long time. 12 degrees, not going to work. Um, you know, 12 degrees. And that's one thing you know, I'd like to share this evening. I've been trying to do is like being a bit smarter about like, you know, yeah, it's great to be out there and want to be adventuresome and do solo things. But if it's 12 degrees, um, things can go sideways really fast. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had a similar experience, you know, to start the year off. I started the year uh, at Shawnee this past uh, January, you know, doing a run at night. And, you know, I've run there at night multiple times now. And just like, for whatever reason, you know, being in the dark in the winter is a totally different experience than, you know, being in the dark at the summer. I don't think a lot of people may not realize that. But um yeah, I, it's just, it was just so crazy to see kind of you do this event. And, you know, it's the one thing that kind of come out of 2020 was a lot of people doing a lot more crazy adventures, awesome adventures and kind of going away from the races, you know, because there weren't a ton of them. But like, what do you what do you kind of take from that? Like, do you see yourself doing a lot of more of these uh, wild adventures in the future? Like, will you ever do the Shawnee 200 this year? Maybe. Um. I will never stop doing adventures. I don't know if I will do the Shawnee 200. And I, I share with you my only goal whenever I went down there was I was going to do 150 and I was going to not leave until I did it. But I had some other kind of like, you know, goals that weren't hard and fast, but I kind of said, well, if I can do 150 and do it in this, that'd be kind of nice, but I never really tracked it. And Wesley, you mentioned the 60 hours. And I didn't really create anything. I was looking at splits on my Garmin to see how close I was at. But I had an idea that, you know, I wanted to do it in less than 60 hours. And I was like at 59 something and changed just a little less than 60 hours. And the reason for that was I was going to use the Shawnee 150 to learn if I ever wanted to do a 200, what it would take to pull it off because I had no idea. And I finished in enough time 
and I finished feeling good enough, I ran up the hill to the lodge at the end of the Shawnee 150. I ran, I came out of the South Loop backpack trailhead. I ran across the parking lot. I ran all the way up to the lodge and I stopped and I felt good enough that like, you know, I could do another loop. And I had enough time and I felt good enough and I was healthy enough that I could have ladded on another 50 if that had been my plan. Um, so I did that. But, you know, Wesley, what I really, you know, you know, was hoping to do is like you did the 100 and I did the 150. And so I was hoping like, OK, I'm going to put a block in here so someone else is going to come along and do a 200. And, you know, it would not, you know, hurt my feelings at all if someone comes and one of the ones up my 150. And if they reach out, I will show up and help you do a 200 or 250 or whatever you want to do. I mean, that's the awesome thing about this sport. It's like, you know, whatever I learned and whatever I shared, and there's a couple of tweaks I would have made to what I did differently if I was going back in. I would share that with someone else if they wanted to do 100, 150 or 200, you know, just here, you know, take it. Here's my playbook. Yeah, no, I think like someone's got to do the 200 and then maybe one of us, you know, we can hop back in, we can do the 250 or 300, you know, just keep building this thing. Uh, Hopefully, you know, hopefully one day maybe the Shawnee 100 exists. Wouldn't that be something cool that, you know, maybe we could all run one day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, I was running with a friend of mine, you know, uh, um, Buck a couple of weeks ago and we were down there and he said, have you ever run it the other direction? I was like, no, but like. And I told Buck, I said, you know, I said, if if Michael Owen would like just like start like reversing this Shawnee 50 and I showed up at the starting line, he said, OK, we're going to do it the opposite direction. Uh, any advantage I have of knowing that course just went away because um, I am so used to running it the one direction. So, you know, Wesley, if you know, if there ever was that, you know, 150 or the 200, you know, kind of throw in like a Barkley thing and start like changing up the direction. I completely agree. And I'm with you. I've never done the other direction. I've literally gone the one way. So if there's ever any variation, uh, we're going to have to do some homework out there because it's going to be something different. Uh, Sarah Newcomb in the chat says, Cam, I think you're the one to do the 200. So Cam, we'll get you on the books. We'll schedule a day for that. We'll go help you support you. I'll come back and we'll make it a good old experience for you. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Um, <clears throat> we do we do have another question from the chat. Um, she says that it's your friend, um, Kathy. She wants to know the story behind, quote unquote, just step over it. <laughs> um, first of all, like one of the things I mentioned, you know, you know uh, Rum Bum, and like I've run, you know, some of Sean's events. He's done an awesome job with them. And like, I want to throw out just like a lot of love to like, all the race directors of the events I've run, it's like they have like done a lot of like behind the behind the scenes work that lets like all of us show up and just like you know go through aid stations and eat random things and have a good time. So uh, you had you know you know you know Mike Wisman on a couple of weeks ago, and I've run multiple events that he's done, and so he runs events that are like in places that I love that look a lot like my home. They do an awesome job with it, and it came up in the chat the Redbird Crest. And the Redbird Crest, um, although I understand why he's not having it anymore because it didn't have overwhelming you know, participation, it was my favorite thing ever because it was the most brutal remote thing in the world. And it poured the rain. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it's just has every reason in the world to fold up your tent and go home. No one in the world would want to like subject themselves to this. Um, 
And to me, that checks all the boxes. It's like the impossible thing. Well, that's awesome. So Kathy and I went down to run the Redbird Crest because I had never run 100K and neither had she. We're down there in the hills of mountains of, you know, of southeastern Kentucky. And that course, a lot of it went on these ATV trails. And there were no ATVs there when we were there. But it had been torrentially raining for days and days and days. And these ATVs have worn out these wallows of water. And they went from like a hillside, which is a straight up to the like a one side. The other side's a straight drop off. And there's really no way to get around it other than to like step over it or, you know, go right through it. And, you know, me being like kind of a, you know, on the level of a Cro-Mag man, a lot of the time, like I'm not a deep thinker sometimes, particularly if you get me out running a lot of miles, you know, Kathy was, you know, kind of, you know, you know, trying to get across those water things. And my great sage advice to her was, well, just step over it. Well, I'm six, two, she's a little over five feet tall. And she's like, your hips come up to my shoulders. <laughs> And like I would be stepping over and I would be looking back and she's like water over like up over her knees. And, you know, and so she like had a few choice words to me, which I actually earned. But like, again, I share with that. That's me with my like kind of very basic Cro-Mag like advice of like, yeah, just step over it. Look, it's easy. There's no problem. That's hilarious. I mean, I think we, everyone's kind of had those moments out on the trails where you think, you know, advice goes one way, but, you know, situations <laughs> are situational and yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, one thing I'm kind of curious about is, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this and they're probably like, okay, he's done a lot of awesome races before he's done a lot of big things, but I bet a lot of people are curious, okay, what's next? Your ultra signup is loaded right now. And I think it's going to be awesome to kind of see what races you uh, have on the board for this year. What are you most looking forward to? I am most looking forward to my A race for 2021. Um, as far as my number one goal that I got to check off the list is the Ute 100. Um, because there's more of a backstory to that about why I am going out west and doing something that's absolutely brutal. And I have not run out west a lot. And unfortunately, um, when Kathy and I were running, in the Redbird Crest. During that race, I found out that with one ticket, I got the Western States lottery um, in that race. Um, so, you know, in the middle of a downpour in the middle of Southeastern Kentucky, I've run 100. I got one ticket in the fishbowl. I got pulled. So, like, this is like the once in a lifetime chance. So, awesome. I'm going to go out west and run, run Western States. Well, this is, I'm going to share with you other dumb things about learning how to be wise about things. So I figured I need to go out West and train. So in early February of the year, I was supposed to run Western States. They have training runs. I went out and ran one. It was supposed to be 20 some miles. Uh, they took you out to like Green Gate, drop you off. You run back into Auburn. I'm running it and I am flying. I'm passing everyone. Now, this is a training run, by the way. It's not a race. It's not competitive. There is no placing, but I am flying. And I was flying down a descent, as rocky as can be, um, right to the last you know, spot before you go up the hill into Auburn, and I trip over a rock. And I start stumbling, and I blow out a hamstring. Um, took me out for weeks. Um, you can't defer your entry. I went to Western States. I only 
you know, I wasn't in a shape to run a hundred miles. I hadn't trained hardly at all, but I said, well, let's see what we can do. And I DNF'd it. I only made a hundred K of it. And so what's been in my crawl ever since is that DNF. And so I wanted to pick something that was harder than Western States to go back and redeem myself. And so that's my A race for 2021. Now on the way there, I'm going to go down next month and run Georgia death race. Um, I'm looking to cross the finish line. I'm not looking to do any PRs. I'm just looking to not get entered, not repeat dumb things I did in training for Western States. Uh, then I'm going down and running Wisman's Warhammer 100. Uh, once again, it's like, I'm going to run the hundred mile distance, but I'm going to be smart, stay within like something that's very manageable, not looking to set any PR times. Just, it's just a learning experience and just to have some fun down in Kentucky around Cumberland Falls. So that's the plan for 2021. Excited to have you out here in Utah. This is great. You know, first guest that we've uh, convinced, you know, come out and do a race. You know, I didn't have to do that much convincing. It was great. Uh, yeah. What are you most looking forward to about like, I guess, like coming out to Southern Utah, like outside of, you know, maybe the race. Um, really the races are all ancillary. It's this whole thing of just being outside um, and getting the tops of mountain ridge tops and looking down and just for a few moments stopping and experiencing epic beauty with all five senses that you can't capture in a smartphone camera. And then just like knowing like, yeah, that's in my mind. And you just put it there and you go and it's yours forever. And you, there's no way you can explain it. There's no way you can share it with anyone. And if you've done this and known you've had those experiences, you can't follow them up. So that's the plan for out there. And then the other thing is every event I go to, even if I don't know another human there, when I show up, I meet the most interesting people, you know, just out on the trail and just completely, you know, randomly start sharing things and just learning about all the awesome people out there. Well, like I said, I can't wait to uh, have you out here for that race and uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Kim, what do you have for us here? Yeah. So um, it's about that time. We are going to get to our quick questions at the end of the show that we always love to do. Um, Michael, what is the one thing you can't leave an aid station without? Oatmeal cream pies because they save lives. Let's go. These favorite guests so far. I don't know if we've had that answer. Uh, we and, big and fans. There, there's a follow-up to the, like, they save lives. Last mm -hmm. January, Kathy and I were running a 50K down in Canola State Forest, the frozen Sasquatch. And we were going through you know a campground that was all closed because it's winter time there's no one down there and she pulls out an oatmeal cream pie and she says it's time for an oatmeal cream pie like let's have an oatmeal cream pie it's like oh yeah i mean let's have an oatmeal cream pie so we stopped long enough to eat an oatmeal cream pie and then we started running and we hadn't taken like a few steps massive limb falls out of this tree and hits the asphalt right in front of us i mean it like you didn't know it till you heard it and it hit the ground and we're like, Oh my God, that oatmeal cream pie just saved our lives. So oatmeal cream pies, they taste good and they might save your life. All about it. You know, we've been trying to get sponsored by them for a little bit now, little Debbie's, uh, they haven't returned our calls, but you know, maybe one day uh, we'll get that call. They should. It is a pure ultra running food. That's great. Uh, we got a quick question just popped in, in the chat from Kurt Keener again. Uh, he wants to know, are there any road races in your future? Um, 
Probably not. Um, I usually run the Columbus Marathon. Well, I mean, I actually had the last couple of years because I'm living back up here in the Columbus area. And I've been doing it for fun uh, because I always have a friend that's wanting to either do a half marathon or a marathon. I say, well, I'll just come in and do it with you. And I'll get you to the finish line. This is your goal. And just the cause of nationwide children's and for what it's for, I high five every one of those kids. And it's like, I go through that section of the angel mile and I have tears in my eyes. It's like, it's just a fun hometown thing. And as far as road racing, that's about it. That's great to hear. Definitely a, a favorite of mine. I've done the half marathon there a couple times as well. Um, Michael, do you have any pre-race rituals? Yes. Um, I fuel on absolute garbage. McDonald's, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. Yes. <laughs> see, see, I will love that answer. <clears throat> yeah, that's great to hear. I was going to say, finally, somebody who's not trying to convince me to go vegan and get faster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, any uh, post-race indulgences then? Um, every single time, without a doubt, it is like, I'm in my mind at the back half of every ultra. The only thing I'm thinking about is a cheeseburger with some French fries, a nice craft beer and some Jaeger because as I've either evolved or devolved over time, a marathon's not enough and neither is just a beer. You got to have something else with it. Love that answer. Cam. Yeah. All right. And if ultra running had walk up songs like baseball, what would yours be? Um, Rage against the machine killing in the name. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely a solid choice. A little bit of a throwback to my high school football days for sure. <laughs> at least the way I feel about that song, but definitely comes on every now and then stoked to add that to the playlist. Can you a minute to dive into your high school football days again for us? <laughs> I, I do not. And I, I never will. I promise I was not good. <laughs> then we're still waiting to see those highlights, but you know, maybe on the next show. The just the huddle link is dead and I am so thankful. <laughs> Um, and then last one here, Michael, uh, if you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner, we're going to say they're going to run with you and keep your pace. Who would it be? That is such a hard question for me because the other thing I'm like infinitely interested in other than like running and meeting interesting folks out on the trails is history. Um, at the moment, I'm really kind of into, um, the civil war era about a lot of the folks in it. And right now, the person I find the most interesting that I would like to kind of get to meet is Frederick Douglass. Great there answer. We go. Yeah, we'll have to I'll do some history research on that one. And, uh, you know, I bet that's an awesome person. Mm -hmm. All right, Michael, any uh, sponsors you'd like to plug or anyone you'd like to say thank you to before we close the show out? Um, as far as thank you, um, I just thank you know, all the race directors and all the wonderful folks that have been out there on the trails. Like it's great seeing you young guys get into this sport that I didn't even know existed whenever I was your age. Um, sponsors, I don't have a sponsor. Um, I am a, a brand ambassador for Exoskin and I just love their stuff. And so I, you know, have worn their, their, their clothes and stuff for years. Um, as far as another sponsor, I would, you know, I always look for an opportunity to support friends who in the friends who happen to actually run trails is even more awesome. Um, Buck Michael 
you know, meteorologist on Channel 6 here. He does the run forecast. I get a personal forecast, like when I went to Shawnee, he tells me what to expect. He also has a side business of balm by buck. And so foot balm, hair balm, the stuff is awesome. So I got to give a plug to like my, my buddy Buck and the balm by buck. We're going to have to start tweeting at him for, you know, races for forecasts and whatnot. We need to stay up to the minute. And I, yeah, he's got all the info. So uh, we'll have to definitely reach out to him. And he uh, he's logged a lot of Shawnee miles with me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great to hear. Hopefully uh, we can get you some shout outs from some other brands, you know, um, or at the very least we can get some kind of Ridge Runners partnership with Buck there. Um, we were super stoked to see him out at a uh, Derby Creek the day I was out there with Andrea Johnson running her first 50 K when we kind of met because we passed him a few different times, but Anyways, Michael, we were so stoked to have you on. You were a great guest. If you've made it this far in the show, why not subscribe? You know, you just listen to us ramble for about an hour. Um, leave us a like review. Um, this is also available everywhere you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, things like that. Definitely subscribe to us there as well if you want to take Ridge Runners on your next run and you don't have time to tune into this show live. Um, Anyways, with all that said, we are so grateful that you guys tuned in and uh, listened to this episode. Um, anything else, Wesley? No, thank you again, Michael. And this was, a, it was great to kind of talk to you. And yeah, really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks. See you guys on the next one. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning into another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Rosanna Nation. Oh,